Welcome back to the Crowd Money Cast. My name is Clay Graubard, and every month I'm joined by my co-host Andrew Eady to discuss real money prediction markets and interview key players in the space. Today we wanted to start off the podcast a little differently from our first two episodes. Instead of sharing new thoughts about the space, we'll instead highlight major news and developments about prediction markets which have happened in the past month, something we originally covered in the newsletter. Crowd Money is new, and we want to experiment with the format until we perfect it. So let us know your thoughts about the podcast format in the comments section at crowdmoney.io and any other recommendations you may have. Today's interview is with George Yu, the founder of Hedgehog Markets, a new crypto-based prediction market on the Solana blockchain, which recently launched in beta and has an intriguing new take on the PM formula. We also wanted to let you know that you can now find the Crowd Money cast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcasting platforms. Without further ado, let's get started. So if you've been following Crowd Money either through the newsletter or the podcast, you'll know that we've been following the CFTC regulation um, interrogation and investigation into Polymarket. Um, and for a time, Polymarket wasn't tweeting. Uh, and, you know, uh, there's a lot of speculation about who so, uh, you know, sent them to the CFTC. But now it seems like Polymarket is back up and running in terms of their sort of outward facing um, marketing channels uh, and also their social media. Clay, what do you make of Polymarket's inactivity and then activity now? And, um, you know, do you think that the CFTC investigation is over? Or do you think um, that maybe it's just in a lull and that's why Polymarket's come back back to life? I definitely don't think the investigation's in like a lull or that they've stopped it. I, I have a feeling that sort of CFTC and any sort of government uh, investigation into into a platform takes quite a while. I have a feeling that, you know, they got alerted to the fact that the CFTC was investigating them and they sort of stopped posting anything until they uh, retained legal counsel and they got advice in terms of what they should do. Uh, I do think it's a pretty positive sign, though, that they are, you know, really public facing again. They're tweeting out multiple times per day. They currently have some sort of competition going on where if you engage on social media, they'll buy uh, an ENS name for like three people that participate in it. So it seems like, at least publicly, that whatever advice they've gotten from their legal counsel, who I think previously ran the CFTC's uh, uh, enforcement division, is giving them positive signs in terms of how the investigation will pan out. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's partly that. And I think it's also, um, you know, looking at, you know, some of their competitors and notably competitor, um, my guess is that Polymarket feels pressured to continue to sort of build up their following and to uh, build on the lead that they have in terms of trading volume and in terms of just sort of social recognition and brand loyalty. Um, because, yeah, the prediction wars are on, prediction market wars are on, um, and they don't want an investigation that might not, you know, be a big deal in the long run uh, to sort of derail their progress that they've made so far. Um, yeah, I'll be interested to see what the results of that investigation are. I don't know if you know, like, how long CFTC investigations typically take. It's probably sort of case by case. Um, but yeah, I think it's still going to have a big impact. Yeah, I think the in-trade one took quite a few months uh, in terms of when they ended up then filing a lawsuit against them trying to shut down trading. Um, 
But, you know, once again, the big thing with the in-trade was, on part of it, it was this binary options, which is in part what the CFTC is investigating Polymarket, but it was also like misusing funds that they had. And that's something that Polymarket obviously doesn't have because they're just, you know, a, a front end expressing what's on the blockchain, yeah, yeah. right? So uh, it's a little bit different. I, I am curious to see... I, I don't have a feeling that the people at the CFTC have have the greatest understanding of blockchain technology. And so maybe the, the probe is going to take quite a long time because they're just going to have to figure out actually what's even going on. Um, so that, that'll be like an interesting twist on, uh, on, on the entire process. Yeah, I mean, I shared with you my, my contact at the CFTC and he, as you saw, was he looked the furthest from being, you know, Bitcoin savvy or crypto savvy, Web3 savvy. So, um, yeah, maybe they'll just be able to sort of do the Mark Zuckerberg in Congress and just answer some very basic high level questions and get out unscathed. So we'll see. Although we do know that uh, Tim Cook has Bitcoin and Ethereum. So you never know, you know, the the Gen Xers, they're not 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 all of them are behind the curve. Yeah, um, who bought it so, for him well, is the question. <laughs> Um, but speaking about the prediction market wars that you were hinting at, um, the next piece of news is that Reddit has officially rolled out uh, their prediction market tournament software. This is something that they've been piloting for, I believe, about a year. Uh, I know r slash cryptocurrency has been running quite a lot of prediction tournaments for months at this point, uh, but now they've kind of unfolded it. Uh, I saw on Twitter that someone made the comment that Reddit you know, just by launching this has become the largest prediction poll out there. You know, there's way more Reddit users than people on Metaculus or Good Judgment. And then if you throw in the prediction markets as well, all of those combined are probably minuscule in terms of like one large subreddit on Reddit. And so I'm really interested to see how this feature sort of unfolds. It's right now very bare bones. So when you make predictions, they're about binary outcomes. And you just basically pick which one is going to happen. You're not assigning probabilities. You're just saying out of you know the options, which one is going to happen. Uh, and the winnings are exclusively gamified. So they're like non-monetary tokens, but they might um, implement some other sort of r rewards down, uh, down the line. And I'm just interested, like, w what do you think about this feature? And where do you think that Reddit should take it? Do you think they should, you know add in things that make good for forecasting, like putting in actual like discrete probabilities or uh, having a, a, a wider structure for uh, rewards. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think for context, right, this is coming after forecast sunset or Facebook sunset their forecast app, um, which is still a bit surprising to me that they did that. But with Reddit dropping these uh, sort of updates to their polling feature on Reddit. I think it makes a bit more sense. I think what Reddit has that Facebook didn't, and this is just sort of a observation about social writ large, is like Facebook made the decision to go broad in terms of their platform and Reddit decided to go sort of small in terms of like building communities and niches. And Facebook was just sort of for everybody. And I think when you have a platform that's just sort of for everybody, you need more incentives to get people interested in making bets. And this was a whole different platform separate from Facebook. Um, so it had even less of that network effect. I think building out on the poll feature, which is already used on Reddit and turning them into these sort of prediction tournaments. I think one, as we've discussed, you know, ad nauseum tournaments are very, are very interesting incentive structure in themselves. 
and then also building them within these communities. You know, in Crowd Money 004, we're going to talk a bit about DAOs and organizations and communities and how prediction markets can function within them. And I think this is a really interesting sort of experiment in that, um, because I think if you're part of a cryptocurrency community or now it's any group with over 10,000 members, you know, you're probably going to have some loyalty, some, you know, desire to see that group, you know, succeed or interact with that group. And so I think this is an interesting way to do that. Um, my guess is maybe at some point, as you said, it's gamified right now, the tokens will be tied to some sort of currency or will be redeemable for something or, you know, I think they'll probably take it step by step. And this is just sort of a very like easy way to test how feasible the idea of prediction markets on Reddit are going to be. But if this goes well, I could see it definitely um, expanding in the future. I also realized that I did slightly misspeak because I know in r slash cryptocurrency for their prediction market tournament, they give out uh, their moon coin as uh, rewards as well for people that do well. So there is uh, a very slight monetary you know, aspect to at least their version of prediction tournaments. I am curious to see if you know, if this goes well for Reddit, if it gets them the engagement uh, and they're just the right kind of response that they're looking for, if a Facebook will bring back the forecast app and maybe have it more directly tied into Facebook itself, right? Uh, forecast by Facebook was very much siloed away from the rest of the platform. And if, you know, Twitter, for instance, will get involved in the prediction space, it seems pretty ripe. You know, a lot of people that are involved in Metaculous and Good Judgment uh, they use Twitter a lot, and a lot of them actually make forecasts on Twitter. And so it seems like Twitter would also be a really great place to have forecasts. And uh, I wonder if they'll end up doing it uh, on their platform down the line. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd say Twitter more likely than Facebook. One, because Facebook seems to be focused on the metaverse, which is a very different space than prediction markets, at least right now. But who knows? Maybe we'll become a meta podcast at some point. Um <laughs> But I think also like Reddit and Twitter are both sort of, it's not really a term, but like poll native social platforms, you know, like polls are built into the way that people interact. I've posted polls on Twitter about, you know, sports and just random things. So I think when you have polls already built into the behavior of the users, like it's very easy to go from that to the idea of prediction markets or, you know, putting some sort of currency on, on which poll option you're choosing. Um, so I think there's just less friction there, um, which is why this is a you know easy sort of first foray into the prediction space for Reddit. Plus, I bet Reddit's on the back end, you know, taking a lot of that data that people are doing in these polls and being able to leverage it to either enhance you know group experience for members in certain groups or um, think about ways to you know either take the prediction mark idea further or to um, give Reddit a facelift and do some back end or front end support. So I think, honestly, I think it's going to benefit everybody. Um, and I know there's going to be those people that are like really farming these tokens because they have some sort of bullish bet in the future that, that these unicorn tokens are going to be worth something. So we'll have to see. But I, I like Reddit a lot as a company. I'm a big Reddit user, so I'm a bit biased. I know you are too. Um, so I think this is... I think it's going to be a successful experiment. Well, speaking of successful experiments, um, the news platform Axios has been experimenting nice. uh, with, uh, yeah, with using <laughs> prediction markets uh, in their news coverage. Um, 
They've done it recently when talking about the Atlanta uh, mayoral election that happened, as well as whether or not uh, Jerome Powell will be renominated to uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve. Uh, we've seen prediction markets starting to be featured in the news more recently. I think in Crowd Money 002, we talked about CNBC and Forbes using information from Kalshi and I believe Polymarket in their news coverage. And so uh, I think that's very interesting. And, you know, I've always been talking about the benefits of prediction markets and prediction polls in terms of uh, informing news coverage. Uh, what I also find interesting, though, is on one hand, Axios talks about what prediction markets say about Jerome Powell being renominated, and they do this in late October. And then in early November, Axios runs a story talking about will Jerome Powell be renominated to the Fed, and their entire analysis is just based on what some people and, and like what insiders in Congress are saying. And then they entirely ignore the context that prediction markets say, because the article say says some people believe that Jerome Powell will be renominated, but then you go to predict it, and it's like an 85% likelihood, or Kalshi, and it's a 85, or you go to super forecasters and they're like a 90% likelihood. And so on one hand, they are featuring it in the news, but on the other hand, like they're keeping it really siloed away from like their major news coverage. Uh, and I definitely think that they should bridge that. I'm curious to see if they do it and when they do it. I think that's where we are in the prediction market space right now is prediction markets are being featured, but not incorporated. And those are two different mm. things, right? So like you can point over there and say, look at what this market is saying. But until you're actually blending what they're saying into your own analysis, you know, we still have a ways to go. And I think that's in large part due to like this larger problem of just convincing people. And right, this is where we said that the academic literature might be relevant. Um, just moving forward is like being able to convince people that the information from these prediction markets is is an accurate reading on, you know, the, the likelihood of a certain outcome. Uh, I think right now there still seems to be some hesitancy around, you know, how much can we actually rely on these numbers um, and write a news article based on them. But I think, you know, Axios is, uh, you know, a sort of digital native, um, you know, 21st century media company. If anybody's going to, you know, sort of be the first mover in this space, I think it probably will be some somebody that's either them or looks like them. Um, so I would like to see them do that a bit more um, moving forward. And I feel like they're slowly inching towards that space. I've seen more and more uh, predicted polls. You know, it's, it's really only in politics that I've seen prediction markets featured in the news, but I think that'll be a good place to start. Um, it's sort of like, it's sort of like polling. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see and, when that happens. And then speaking about like using prediction markets for news, uh, call she, recently did a major redesign major in quotes redesign of their website both like if you just go to call she before you sign up they redid like their homepage and how they sell their product which is whatever i think the more interesting redesign is they redesign like how the markets page looks so if you just if you sign into call she and then you scroll through they've really shifted their design language to look actually a lot like metaculous and i think in general this is a really good redesign that they've done it, it's it's good to sort of like scroll through and you can see the questions you can see the price graph over time and it makes it 
easy to sort of use call she as like an in information source as well as sort of you know view a lot of markets at once and i'm in general a fan of the redesign on twitter i pointed out a a, a few issues about this redesign uh but generally i think it's pretty strong and i do like how it's sort of reminds me a lot of the m m metaculous design um before we get to like the other call she news andrew i'm curious what are your thoughts on the uh on the redesign that they've done i like certain aspects of it um that just make the sort of as you said trading ui a bit more intuitive at least for me and so it's just more comfortable platform to use um i still think like i agree it does remind me of the metaculous redesign in terms of how they're sort of depicting their graphs and stuff um i'm just and i know they're still going through iterations it's part of the process but i am more partial i think to the ui of something like a smart kits that we um explored we're talking with jason trost like something about maybe it's the sort of dark mode like the permanent dark mode on that website that's attractive to me when I'm trading. Um, you know, maybe it's the dynamic market um, sort of cards where you can see things moving in real time that just makes it more exciting. Something about that mm -hmm. that platform um, just appeals to me more. But I think Callshe is moving in the right direction. Um, you know, there were some changes that they'd made in the middle stages that I wasn't a big fan of that seem to be gone now. So it seems like um, they're iterating and getting feedback. And I know you've been very active on Twitter giving them feedback. So I'm sure that's driving a lot of their uh, sort of action there. But um, yeah, I think they're moving in the right direction for sure. Yeah, I, I think the best thing that they, they added, which was because of me, just to, just to brag a little bit, was that they finally put when questions end in the title. Because a lot of the times you would just go through it and just be a question and then like it, it wouldn't say when. So it'd be like, Will a replacement for Jerome Powell be announced? But like by when? Like that's kind of a mm -hmm. a, a pretty important piece of information. And so now if you go on call sheet, they have when the question is supposed to, you know, be settled in the title, which I think makes it a lot easier just to like read through these questions. Otherwise you gotta like click in words and figure all that out. It uh it made it pretty bad. Um so I thought that was uh, definitely a good change. Um, and so there was also some other call she news that we wanted to talk about. So uh, on Twitter, Tarek, who is one of the co-founders of call she, um, made a post about call she's inflation market uh, and did a very Elon Musk-esque thing where uh, he would say that if call she's market got inflation wrong, that he would give out 4200 uh, and six dollars and nine cents, which is you know a very nice number. Um, it looked like the uh, the Kalshi market was going to forecast correctly uh, that inflation would be over 0.5 percent in uh, October, and then at the last minute, uh, some absolute legend put in a trade for I think like nine thousand shares, which then flipped the market from 55 percent likelihood that it'll be over 0.5 percent to under. Uh, uh, 0.5% with a 45% likelihood. So someone dropped it by 10% of the last points, which means Tarek had to give out money on Twitter to some random person, which was not me, even though I entered the competition. Big shame. Um, and alongside that competition, Tarek uh, released an interesting, or not Tarek, but Kalshi released an article explaining how you can use Kalshi 
uh, as a hedge against inflation, uh, which I thought as an article was interesting, like graphically showing how you can use prediction markets as a hedge against future events. You know, it's something that people talk about, but very few people actually like show it on like a very simple like graph that you would have in economics. Uh, but in terms of the usefulness of a hedge, uh, I think we have some different uh, different opinions in terms of uh, how well it is. So, Andrew, why don't you uh, share some of your thoughts? I don't know. I think um, I think there's a lot of stuff going on here. I think the idea is right in the sense of you know we often talk about prediction markets as ways of hedging um, sort of larger things going on in the world, and this is a very you know, direct one-to-one sort of um, manifestation of that. So I think in that way, it it makes it easy for people to understand the correlation between the two. Um, But I do think like, you know, one, it's the meme, like, you know, um, you're not talking about inflation, you're talking about hyperinflation because inflation happens every year at some, you know, whatever, 2% or something like that. Um, I think it's probably less, but... um, but I think, you know, one, it's that and sort of the way that he's talking about inflation. Uh, I think it paints somewhat of a inaccurate picture because I think also what he's describing and he brings up gold and Bitcoin in his article as other hedges. I think he's conflating um, dollar depreciation with inflation. And I think, you know, there's two different hedges for each and they are related. Like dollar depreciation does lead to inflation, but like. I think Bitcoin is more of a hedge against the devaluing of the dollar and stuff like gold or real assets and stuff he was talking about as a hedge against inflation. Um, so I think there's also that sort of, um, you know, just maybe using the wrong monikers there. Um, and then I think also, you know, he's measuring inflation by the CPI, but by, you know, by its nature, the CPI has baskets. Um, and, you know, if you look at different baskets or grouping of baskets, it tells a very different inflation story. You know, there could be inflation in some sectors and not inflation in others. Um, and so I think if you're trying to hedge inflation in one area, not the other, like CPI might not be the best way to do it. And I mean, you can just look at interest rates also, like you don't need a whole new market to hedge against inflation. There's other ways to, um, to play the inflation game that are still probably going to net you a good profit if you're you know directionally correct um and also and if you're I also just, serious about like hedging inflation right call sheet limits your exposure on the market to twenty five thousand dollars i was gonna so, say I just put my money somewhere else you know like there's so many other um interesting ways to play against dollar depreciation or inflation you know investing in commodities we're in uranium that's still doing really well like you know there's just other places with you know higher ceilings um than putting it in this market. So I think like this is again, a good step in the sense of like, I'd like to see more markets with direct, you know, hedging potential. Um, but when it comes to inflation, I, I don't know if this is the one, but we'll see. I could be proven wrong. Yeah. This is a lot of activity and people are, you know, making lots of money and insulating themselves. And that's great. I just don't know if it's the best tool. Yeah, I don't think it was their most liquid market by yeah that's 67,000 contracts total uh throughout time which on call you have to divide by two to really figure out the real number because they count the yes no pair is two separate contracts so that's 
whatever half of 67,000 is, it's, it's incalculable uh, what that number is. But it's definitely not their most liquid market. Um, and Plus, a lot I of do agree. probably market maker as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is Kalshi Trading or their affiliate uh, trading on the platform. So uh, actual trading volume is probably quite a bit lower than that. Um, I think as a whole, the article is interesting just showing how prediction markets can be used as a hedge. But, you know, I think you've really convinced me that if you're trying to hedge against inflation, um, you have better places to go than the $25,000 limit on a, on a call sheet market. I do think, um, like, what, what, what is the, so the market happens quarterly? Is that how it works? Um, just whenever like inflation or CPI numbers come out from the Fed and like you get paid out on market resolution every quarter. Cause I'm thinking it's a monthly, like, it's a it's monthly thing. Yeah. So they currently have right now a whole nother series of CPI ones, which is will CPI rise more than 0.3 in October? Uh, I mean, in November, more than 0.6 in November and more than 0.5 in November, which is the same that they had for October. If they want I think those to, are the ones that they have. Like, so he talks about gold in the article. And one of the reasons, I, I still think gold's a good inflation hedge. One of the reasons people don't like to invest in gold is because it doesn't have, um, it doesn't pay interest like a bond. It doesn't give you some regular return on your money. It just, it sits there. Um, and it's just meant to sort of retain value, um, not necessarily accrue value. And so I think if there's some way to, I mean, we've talked about dividends on prediction markets, so like some way to pay out over time on like a periodic um, basis, you know, on a market or to have a market that's super long term, but that, you know, you think will just keep slowly going up. And so you can put your money there and just have it be like a like an S&P proxy. If you get something like that, then I think people, you know, be more interested in looking at event contracts as a asset class to hedge with. Um, but I just think, yeah, the current iteration, it's interesting, but it's not a, not perfect yet. Well, speaking of interesting iterations, and this is not the smoothest oh, inter- uh, transition, I know, but <laughs> it is now time to switch over to our interview with George Yu, who is the founder of Hedgehog Markets, which is that new crypto-based prediction market on the Solana blockchain, which with a very interesting concept of no-loss competitions. So let's go over to that right now. George Yu, welcome to the Crowd Money Cast. It's great to have you with us. Hey, Andrew Clay. Great to be here. So Hedgehog Markets made a big splash after launching this September on the Solana mainnet. Your company raised an impressive $3.5 million over the summer as well. Can you speak about the inception of the platform, where the idea came from, and how long it's taken to get here today? Sure. So uh, in terms of where the idea came from, right, I've always been interested in exploring ways to better predict future events um, and began really noticing, at least in crypto, the lack of user-friendly ways to do this. So I've always been interested, played around with, you know, predicted, I've followed Kalshi, and we really thought that the best way to go forward ultimately in terms of offering prediction markets of any sort of idea and on any sort of question would be to build on top of a decentralized platform. And so when we saw 
DeFi really take off in terms of usage in 2020. So there were applications like Compound, Uniswap. Compound is a lending borrowing platform built on top of Ethereum. Uniswap is an automated market maker built on top of, of Ethereum. You saw these start to get actual usage and, and seeing this actual usage coming onto these decentralized platforms, we really thought that now was just the best time to go after something in the space and build something in the space. So that's when we decided to go ahead and build prediction markets. And to get from you know, where we started to where we are today, it's really been a pretty iterative process. So we started with Hedgehog on Ethereum. So we built out a quick, uh, essentially a quick prototype on Ethereum, but really found that the user experience on Ethereum, especially for people that weren't familiar with crypto, just wasn't great. So uh, typically you'd have to be paying likely upwards of, you know, anywhere from like 50 to $50 plus for a transaction. And transactions would take, you know, potentially minutes to settle. So that just uh, wasn't going to cut it, especially for people that weren't previously exposed to the space. Um, after that, we looked around for different infrastructures and different blockchains on which we might be able to build on. Uh, Solana seemed to really fit the bill, had fast transaction times, low fees, and um, the ecosystem was growing. So we decided to go ahead and build on that. Started building on top of Solana around March, April, and ran a open beta phase uh, for around a month through May, where we just tested demand and, and really got a lot of feedback from users. Uh, got a lot of positive feedback in terms of how clean the UX and UI was. And I think that's one of the things that we really want to focus on is having you know the cleanest UI in the game. And from there, uh, started to think about how we wanted to bring this to mainnet in a way that was both uh, safer from a regulatory perspective than just accepting money straight up and also still fun for users. So a lot of the time after that uh, beta closed was around thinking about what kind of structure we wanted the mainnet competitions to have. Um, and we started building those out in earnest around July, uh, launched, as you mentioned, in, in September. And, and now we've been live uh, for just about a month. Now I'd like to turn our attention to what is currently the marquee feature of Hedgehog Markets, no loss competitions. For our listeners, these are basically forecasting tournaments that span roughly a month and cover a range of forecasting questions about a particular subject. To participate, individuals stake $100 USDC, and the top 20 winners share in a $10,000 prize pool. In many ways, this is like IARPA's geopolitical forecasting challenge, but the main difference is that you have to stake your currency, something necessary for this to be a long-term viable concept, I think. Uh, I really like this because it creates an incentive for individuals to forecast who otherwise wouldn't because they're risk-averse. I know a lot of people in my orbit who I think could do really well on prediction markets, but they don't participate because they don't feel like they're good enough. But when I mention no-loss competitions, they're instantly intrigued and think that this could be their first step into the space. I mean, yes, they could learn the ropes by forecasting on Metaculus or Good Judgment Open, but with no or few financial incentives, it can be really hard to motivate people. So 
how long into the development of hedgehog markets did this concept of no-loss competitions uh, come from, come about? And what was the thought behind this exciting new feature? This really came about um, after a confluence of factors. As we were ending our open beta, which was originally more of a standard prediction market structure uh, where we had you know, just markets, we were using AMM markets at the time. Uh, around May or so, we were really thinking about um, as we launch the mainnet and start taking real money, we want to build this out for the long term, right? We want Hedgehog to ultimately survive, thrive, and, and become a place where everyone comes to predict uh, both popular and, and potentially you know, esoteric questions and, and forecasts on anything that they want. So when we got to think about that, um, one of the key things for us is to approach uh, potential regulatory issues in, in a really uh, respectful way and, and not be cavalier, I guess, about launching something where people could potentially lose money. So uh, we thought about that plus um, what opportunities we had in terms of the DeFi ecosystem on Solana really starting to take off at that point. So um, we started seeing more lending borrowing platforms come up and more opportunities to essentially generate yield on your passive assets. Uh, take, taking that, um, thinking about what structures there have been that have worked well, um, we took a lot of inspiration from Pool Together and seeing how that has uh, really amassed a, a pretty decent you know, amount of money staked in. I think some, somewhere around 150 to 200 mil is staked in Pool Together actively right now. And taking all those and, and blending those together, we came up then with the idea of no loss, um, you know, ran it by the lawyers, uh, making sure that it was something that we could launch and, and feel comfortable with, with launching uh, and actually opening up to US users. And that's really when it started, I would say May, June uh, was a lot of May, June was around fleshing out this concept and and getting in contact with lawyers, going through all of this very deeply. And then in July is when we really started building it out. Um, and that culminated in the launch in September. So, you know, going back to this idea of it being an incentive, you know, I, I think it's really great. But, you know, currently there's $10,000 worth of prizes for each of these tournaments, which means that for every single participant involved, as more people enter the competition, you know, your expected return from participating uh, goes down. Um, and if you look at sort of where the USDC is staked currently on port finance, um, it's not entirely clear about how, um, you know, you're able to scale that 10,000 as just normal individuals, you know, put their money in given what the returns are for USDC. Um, so from a profit-making perspective and an uh, incentive perspective, you know, are these no-loss competitions scalable or will they run into a, you know, an HQ trivia issue where um, even if prizes get, you know, large, there's, you know, millions of people participating and so um, their expected value just will, will keep going down? Or, yeah, or so alternatively, you'll have to just throw in more of your own capital in. Yeah, so actually, I think scaling helps solve uh, uh, the issue of you know throwing in capital of our own. So 
the prize pools will scale essentially linearly with the number of participants since uh, as the number of participants participants grow, so too does the amount of money staked. Um, and the yield that we receive on money staked is going to be a relatively constant percentage um, since we're not going to be hugely affecting the size of the yield pools. So actually, as we get more and more users, the total prize pool becomes larger and larger and scales exactly with the number of users that we grow. Um, so we don't see that being a problem. And in fact, um, that actually helps us grow prize pools to such a point where we don't necessarily even have to be subsidizing um, them at, in, in, in any way or form. When it comes to the prize pools, you mentioned that, you know, down the line as more and more money gets staked uh, in these competitions that you guys don't have to inject your own capital into these markets. And I was just wondering if you ever saw an opportunity for actually outside individuals to increase the prize pool and therefore subsidize that no-loss competition even more. So maybe I'm Riot, and I want people to turn into the world championships. And so currently, based on the stake USDC, there's a $10,000 prize in this no-loss competition, but then I am going to inject another $50,000 so that people on hedgehog markets are really interested in this. Or I'm a researcher interested about public health, and so... Um, I subsidize a no-loss competition about COVID. Is that something that you guys have considered for your platform? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. That's actually a system that is a uh, work in progress right now. So it is, in fact, coming. Um, and I think, you know, actually down the line, it might make sense even for these communities to run these competitions on their own. Just, you know, build them uh right on top of our platform basically takes you know a couple inputs a couple text fields and, and then we can spin the competitions up and actually run these competitions for questions that they want answered and in fact mm -hmm. the prizes could even be non-monetary so this is also something that we're exploring where maybe you have a community of nft holders and the prize for these holders for a competition they enter is an NFT that has value to that community or, or some other um, unique sort of prize. So I think um, sponsoring prizes is, is one thing that is very interesting in, in terms of just straight cash, but also um, adding prizes that aren't necessarily monetary, but have value to the community that is predicting around a certain competition or a set of questions is another way that we can go about this. Yeah, so um, I think one, yes, the market topics will likely be similar. Um, we really decided these based on user demand. So 
ultimately if user demand for certain markets for the loss or classic versions is different, then they might take a different route. Um, but a priori, there's no, there's no reason necessarily to see that they would be different. Um, so for markets that we have now, um, really just based on historically what we've seen has been popular and, and based off of data that we had during our open beta, we found that you know crypto was a very popular market for maybe somewhat obvious reasons that it's in the space. Uh, second, sports was really popular. And when we launched that first set, um, esports actually wasn't in there at all, but we got a lot of requests um, you know, in our Discord and on Twitter after that initial launch about esports markets and including those. So uh, we decided to bring that in for the second set of competitions. And I think we'll continue to do that um, in the foreseeable future is basically really listen to what our users are asking for and, and what they want in terms of competitions and bringing those competitions to their user to our users basically you know giving giving our users what what they want so we've sort of and 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 you actually and and a lot of your answers have talked about regulation and trying to make the powers that be happy um as we reported in our last crowd money newsletter um another crypto defi market poly market is currently being investigated by the cftc uh, given that you are in the same you know general family of prediction market uh, what effect if if any has this alleged probe um, had on your plans to go to market um, and have you already been in contact with the cftc we we know of some other crypto markets that you know in, in advance of their launch have been in communication. So um, just how have you guys been approaching um, the regulatory risk and now in light of the poly market probe? Mm -hmm. So uh, we have not been in contact with the CFTC. We're certainly watching that situation very closely. And we, you know, are essentially waiting to see how that resolves. It hasn't really affected our plans to go to market, given that we're running a very different sort of competition right now. Um, users aren't users aren't really putting their money at risk and and they're not staking their money in positions where they could lose if they predict incorrectly. So uh, it hasn't really affected how we're going to market right now, but depending on how that shakes out, um, it could affect when we push out certain features in the future. That's right. Yeah, so in terms of fees, uh, the Hedgehog platform takes no fees. So we take no fees. Um, Solana, there are fees for basically transmitting transactions on chain, uh, but those fees are typically very cheap. 
So on the order of cents, if, if that, um, for a transaction. And in terms of what the structure of the markets looks like for us, right now we actually have a set of paramutual markets. So paramutual markets are, are used, for example, in horse racing, they're commonly used. I think um, in terms of, for classic markets, it's likely that order books make the most sense. Um, automated market makers are uh, perhaps a cleaner way to get started in this space, but um, they offer a lot of problems for liquidity providers. So ultimately I, I don't necessarily think those are sustainable and, and order books are likely the way to go there. Uh, for no loss, I think there's a lot of flexibility that we have. We started with, uh, we started with paramutual markets, which we have now, but are also uh, looking into testing the different market structures. So AMMs could see a reappearance in no loss, for example. So just to clarify, on the traditional markets, when they launch on Hedgehog, there won't be any fees for doing trading. Um. That's not something that we've decided at the moment. It's likely uh, that there would be a fee to the liquidity providers because you would need to incentivize liquidity providers for providing liquidity to markets. Got it. Um, but Hedgehog, the platform, would not take any mm -hmm. fees. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, I mean, long-term for us, I think we really want to see prediction markets being used um, as a way for people to hedge like any sort of decision that they would want to make. So uh, for example, let's say maybe I'm, you know, a graduate student uh, in international relations and maybe I'm concerned about, you know, where the average salary might be for graduates in, in this field in, in a year or Oof, so. I don't want that market. So, but, uh, you know, maybe like I could hedge my, my decision to enter this field um, if a market like that existed, right? I could take the other side um, and, and basically hedge my outcome and, and go for a more certain outcome. So I think um, having markets where anyone can kind of hedge any decisions that they make and anyone can try and forecast any sort of outcomes that they make is, is really the kind of like future that we would want to that we would want to see for prediction markets in the future. So in terms of hedgehog in particular, I think where we're really going after is um, basically bringing communities um, on board to hedgehog. So whether that be communities around esports, um, around games in blockchain or, or even outside of those areas in, in politics or or other sorts of communities. NFT communities is also something interesting, but basically bringing on communities and allowing them to engage and predict on topics that are interesting to them because you know everyone likes to predict things and 
people like to share these as well. So I think that's ultimately uh, where I see Hedgehog going in, in the future is, is becoming this more social platform where, where people can congregate into communities and, and predict things that are important to them. And so to wrap things up, well, we want to pose to you a question that came from Jason Trost, uh, founder and CEO of Smarkets, um, who was on the last episode of the Crowd Money Cast, who said that prediction markets was not the best word for these type of markets. You know, there's many different ways that people have conceptualized betting on future events. Uh, and the words I just used right there, some people just thought betting exchanges is the way to go, which is, I think, what Jason goes with right now. You have Kalshi talking about future event contracts uh, and Robin Hansen, who uses the idea um, of idea futures themselves. Uh, currently, Hedgehog Markets uses the terminology of prediction markets, so I have a feeling that you think it's currently the best out of all the terms out there. But do you think there might be still a better one out there that we haven't yet coined? And do you have any idea what that might be? I guess my thoughts here are that it kind of depends on the structure that you're offering as well. So I don't necessarily know that prediction markets is the best nomenclature for you know, our existing structure where we have competitions. Um, and we might just call them more broadly no loss competitions or no loss prediction competitions or, or something that's a bit a bit more um, direct in terms of what exactly we're offering because it's not it's not exactly a market in in the sense it's it's really a collection of markets or questions that that you're asking so I think it really depends on the structure of your offering and, and what exactly that looks like. Uh, well, George, thank you for all of your time. Um, I guess sort of the last question is um, anything new and exciting that we can expect from Hedgehog Markets in the month or so ahead? Um, I saw online that you guys are planning to release your second set of uh, competitions and that there might be some changes involved with them. Uh, anything about that that you can share on the podcast? Yeah, I think um, probably the most exciting piece of news is just that uh, we're planning to hold an NFT sale and launch. And these NFTs will be uh, NFTs that have actual usage on the platform beyond just being a profile picture. So uh, we're planning to allow users to stake these NFTs to um, participate in certain competitions. So I would definitely keep an eye out for that. And you can do that by just keeping up with us, you know, on Twitter and discord. So you can find us on Twitter at hedgehog market. And, um, in that Twitter bio, you can find a link to join our discord server. So that's really where a lot of the updates are coming from. And listeners can also follow our medium at, uh, just medium.com slash at hedgehog dash markets. Great. And we will have links to all of those and to hedgehog markets and to all of the socials down in the description and in the article as well. So they'll make sure to find you guys and take place in some of those no-loss competitions and maybe snag themselves an NFT to participate in some exclusive competitions in the future. Uh, George, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the Crowd Money Cast. It was a pleasure. Thank you both.
Well, Andrew, I thought that was a pretty interesting interview with George Yu, and I am curious to see how hedgehog markets unfolds in the future. And I wonder if the CFTC investigation and Polymarket's recent return to social media bodes well for them being able to launch their more traditional prediction markets in the near future. Uh, I think for me, the most interesting part about hedgehog markets is this uh, ability to run subsidized prediction markets. So to have no loss competitions that are sponsored by Riot Games or by researchers who want answers to a set of questions and can create these no-loss competitions in order to, you know, subsidize people to offer their own information into the markets. I know George talked about having no-loss competitions end up being standalone um, in terms of, like, funding on the platform, Uh, although we've looked at some of the numbers in terms of, you know, what the monthly return you can get on USDC or Solana, And they don't bode well for it being necessarily uh, a self-supporting system. Um, But I I, I do think this idea of no-loss competitions is like a really good like intro platform for people to get into, you know, doing real money prediction markets because their money's not at stake. Uh, That was probably their strategy was to have these no-loss competitions, be able to generate some amount of volume and liquidity, and then introduce the traditional prediction markets with fees probably and the typical PM setup. Uh, And that way they'd already have that network of people that are on the platform that are like, oh, well, here's this other marketplace on the same form. Let me go there. Um, The concern now is, you know, with the CFTC investigation, uh, with Polymarket that we talked about, before the interview, um, I don't know how feasible, you know, the hedgehog uh, traditional PM is going to be. We'll have to see the outcome of the investigation. Um, you know, George said that they're following it closely. Uh, and, you know, being on another major blockchain, Solana, um, you know, they're definitely going to be like the the outcome of the investigation will definitely uh, have have effects on, on hedgehog's future. So um, just curious to see how that sort of pans out. And also, um, you know, we were talking about this a bit offline, but, you know, no loss competitions and, you know, not having no loss be a sort of incentive to participate in a market um, is sort of interesting when thinking about, you know, what's going on with Reddit and what, um, you know, other platforms might try and uh, do in the future. Um, You know, I think it's a very... It's a very uh, enticing proposition for a potential trader to come onto a platform and say, you know, you can bet on something and not lose anything. Losing is the whole sort of core tenet of betting. So I think, um, you know, I'll be very interested to see how that platform sort of gains in popularity as well. I also think no loss, you know, when I went to that Scott Alexander uh, meetup in London and I was talking with Scott about prediction markets and the difference with prediction polls uh, and this idea of subsidized prediction markets, I said, like, what about the metaculous forecasting competitions where, you know, there are a series of questions where you can forecast and if you do well, you gain a share of money. Uh, And his issue with that is, you know, bots could be part of that. And by having this sort of mandatory buy-in, right, even though you get your money back, you still have to stake $100 USDC. And so you just have to sink in a lot of capital if you're actually trying to distort this kind of market. Um, And so, you know, if we're talking about, like, information sources and using tournaments to do that, uh, I do think the sort of money staking um, sort of... uh, 
reduces the likelihood that uh, these markets will be filled with bad actors because why would you lock up your money just to sort of throw it away and try to distort the market? Um, so I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, I think staking is going to become much more commonplace um, in the way that we sort of pay for things uh, online, especially stuff like this um, on the blockchain. I think it's at least when I became familiar with staking, it seems like sort of a Web3 machination, something that you see with like, um, you know, NFTs, staking NFTs to get tokens or, um, you know, we'll be talking about Gnosis and CrowdMoney004, which is another prediction market platform and, um, you know, open source prediction market infrastructure. Uh, and there's also staking there. So I think um, I agree. That's definitely a good way to sort of force some, some level of buy-in without um, you know, having to put down too much capital. Gnosis. Oh, I've been pronouncing it Genosis, but. Well, I'm glad we did, did this podcast before it comes out so we can get that, get that straightened out. How was I supposed to know that the G was silent, you know? But one of the titles has a pun in it that requires the silent G, as, as you'll see if you, if you scroll down on there. So, um, yeah, well, speaking well, actually, no, there is no transition here. Um, <laughs> but just <laughs> but just sort of as we finish with the podcast, um, curious to think, uh, curious to hear people's thoughts um, about this new format with us talking about the news about prediction markets. Um, I thought the first segment went really well, uh, went on for about 20 minutes. Uh, I, uh, maybe it might make sense to do like two news stories at the start, then do the interview, then have two news stories uh, at at, at the end, um, just curious in terms of what the crowd thinks about that. So let us know in the comments section. And if you guys have any questions about hedgehog markets, put them down in the comments section down below and you just might receive an answer from hedgehog about that in the future. Uh, Andrew, anything else you want to tell the crowd before we uh, sign off on the third episode of the Crowd Money Cast? Uh, no, just keep sending in feedback and keep letting us know how we can improve and keep sharing uh, the podcast and the newsletter with friends, family, whoever, because uh, we're trying to enemies. grow the crowd. Share, share with anyone. Yeah, they're not our enemies, 100%. So, yeah, do it, do it. Uh, and if you guys have any uh, thoughts maybe on merch, with something that we're always considering, let us know. Hats, Actually, shirts. thoughts about anything. Yeah. Just let us know. Talk to us. We're lonely. Yeah. <laughs> And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, people of all places, this was the Crowd Money Cast 003. Thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you with the Crowd Money newsletter in two weeks. Bye bye.